We're going to continue our mini-series, because I think it's only going to last till today, on primary things. Last week we talked about primary deeds. Today we're going to talk about primary words. Last week it was Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, about what does God require of you, old man, but to do justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Primary deeds. Today we're going to talk about primary words. And those words that are to be directed to God and those words are to be directed for God. Primary words. Words are directed to God and words directed for God. We're going to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 6 verse 8. 1 Chronicles chapter 6 verse 8. It's in the Old Testament. David writes here and he's writing the beginning, writing the beginning of a song. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. And call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Lord, help us as we study your word. Three things in this passage about which I'd like to highlight. One, appreciation. Two, proclamation. And three, declaration. The occasion of this penning comes as the Ark of the Covenant is being rolled into Jerusalem carried on the ark, uh, on the shoulders of the priests, the ark is. And David is super excited about it. Now David is a minstrel. He's a songwriter. And so when, when he gets inspired, it not only causes him to do unusual things, in fact, as the ark of the covenant was being brought into Jerusalem on the shoulders of the priests, David behind it was dancing, which, of course, had only been one legitimate king before then, uh, Saul, but nobody had ever danced before the ark like that. We have no record of it, even in the time when it was created during uh, the period of Moses as they were wandering in the wilderness, the Israelites were. David was dancing, and it was, it was such a demonstrative dance that his wife, Michal, who was Saul's daughter, looked at him from her window and saw the king dancing, and she despised what he was doing in her heart because she thought that is undignified for a king to do, which meant David wasn't just doing a little two-step. He wasn't just grooving a little bit. That brother was moving in such a way that everybody said, oh, oh, look at David go. Look at David go. I mean, TikTok was a fire, just a fire with David's dance. Everybody, it went viral. And so McCall was saying, that's undignified for a king. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> shouldn't have said that. David said this to her. You think that was something? I ain't even started yet. I'm so excited about my God, his presence coming into my city. You wait, there's more to come. David was happy about this because the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was this box. Uh, roughly about two and a half feet high and about three and a half feet wide. And it, it contained the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses, a jar of manna, and then Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron was Moses' brother, who was the high priest of the day. And the Ark of the Covenant was made of acacia wood and then overlaid with gold. It had some, some, some uh, um, fasteners on the side, little, little hooks, holes, into which poles were placed. And when the poles were placed, the priests then would carry them, four, one on each corner, carry the Ark of the Covenant between them. On the top of the Ark of the Covenant, there were two angels, solid gold, 
uh, whose, whose, whose wings touched at the top. And as you went down from the wings to the very bottom, to the top of the ark, that was called the mercy seat. This ark of the covenant was placed on the inside of the tabernacle of God in which there were three areas, the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. The Ark of the Covenant was in the most holy place behind a curtain. And the only person who could go and see and touch the Ark of the Covenant uh, once a year was the high priest. And he could go in this place once a year. Um, it was, it was, it was a, a box that represented much of Israel's history. Uh, it, was a, it was an article that was considered to be the presence of God in the earth for the Israelites because in it contained the things that represented God's provision, God's commandments, and his anointing. Three things that, that would kind of embody who Jesus was in everything that he came to be. It represented the presence of God. Now, the interesting thing about the ark at this moment is that though it had been an Israelite possession, it had been on a journey. The Israelites had disobeyed, and Eli happened to be the high priest. This is in 1 Samuel. You look in verse, 1 Samuel chapter 1 through chapter 3. Eli was a high priest who had sons that weren't doing the right thing. Eli was an okay high priest. Uh, he was also a judge, but not as, not as disciplinarian as he should be over his sons. His sons were really doing bad. I mean, wrong stuff, immoral stuff, and he would not discipline them. And as a result, God told Eli, I'm taking the, the, the stewardship of leadership over my people as well as the priesthood out of your family line and I'm giving it to another. Uh, God was displeased with the Israelites as well. And the Philistines came to battle against the Israelites. They lost, meaning the Israelites lost. And in the loss, this Ark of the Covenant, which was at a place then called Shiloh, was taken, taken by the Philistines. This is someplace around 1078 BC, 1070, 1075 BC, we think. And the Philistines thought, boy, this thing, the Ark of the Covenant, this happens to be the represent, representation of the Israelite God that opened the Red Sea, that vanquished nations. Boy, if we put this Ark of the Covenant in our, our, our pantheon of gods, we will be invincible. And so the people of the Philistines decide to try to use the Ark of the Covenant for their own benefit. Mm, not a good idea. They place it next to their God in their temple named Dagon. And uh, they come in one morning and Dagon had fallen over. Dagon was their God. The Ark of the Covenant happened to represent the God of the, the Israelites. When God comes into your life and you invite him, remember, he's not going to have any other gods before him or beside him. Yeah. Just remember that. He, he doesn't need any help doing his job. He needs no accompaniment. He's okay doing it all by himself. And I, my, my, my assertion as to why God treated the, the, the people of the Philistines like this is because he was trying to reach them. He could have done much worse than he did. But he was just trying to let them know, I'm God. And so their God falls over. They come in the next morning, Dagon's on his face, this big stone statue on his face. <laughs> you know the first thing the Philistines try to do? Prop their God back up. Now, may I help you? 
When you invite God into your life and he begins to topple all the other gods, don't try to put them back up because if they were gods, they wouldn't fall over, number one. And if they fell over, they wouldn't need your help to get back up. There's no need for you to try to help them. This is a sign to you. They aren't him. Serve this one alone. Serve the Lord your God all by himself. They didn't get the message. They propped him back up. The next day they come in, uh, worse happens. Dagon falls over. His head has been cut off and his hands have been cut off. The intellectual mindset that the, that, that the Philistines had about who their God was and the provision they believed their God could bring to them were now disabled. God was trying to tell the Philistines, you want to invite me into your world? Great. You can be an annex of my people. I will include you in the covenant, but I will not have any other gods before me or beside me. And I'm letting you know, this one here doesn't even stand a right to be next. Not even next to me. He's over. Instead, the Philistines, what people do when their gods start falling over, their finances start having difficulty, their occupation pursuits get, get, get a little bit sidetracked, relationships begin to fall apart, their life just... Listen, when you invite God into your life, remember your life is a wreck to begin with, though you have propped it up by all these other things. You tried to repair your own works and your own deeds. You tried to help yourself. And, and, and the Lord comes in to destroy all that you have repaired that he might build something more permanent. But the danger is this, when he begins to topple over your gods, you get mad and send him on away. The Philistines said, oop, this isn't working. And so they moved him and said, we have to get God out of our life because he's destroying our lives. <laughs> yeah, God will wreck your life to make it better. Only to make it better. You have no idea the level at which you are living that is so far below the par of Scripture. You have no idea until you get rid of all the other things that are impeding your progress. Don't send God away because you didn't get your dreams fulfilled. Don't do it. Remember, the only reason God destroyed your dreams is because they were either too small or all wrong. He has better and bigger dreams for you. He knows why he created you. He understands what you ought to do. Submit to him even in your pain. They send him on away. And they do it in a certain way, and he winds up, this ark, they do it on a cart with some milk cows. The ark winds up at a place called Beth Shemesh, stays there for a little bit, then winds up in kiriath Jerem, and he stays there for a little bit. The combination of time from when the Philistines defeated the, the, the Israelites, burned the tabernacle and took the ark, and where we get here to David is about 90 years, about 90 years. It is now at a, at a man's house called Abinadab. He's got a couple of sons. Abinadab, we believe, is in the priestly line and has been at his home. They've been caring for it. And David realizes it's at Abinadab's house. The ark hasn't had its proper resting place amongst the people of God with the authority of God intact and the priesthood able to serve for about 90 years. And David says, it's time to bring the ark to a place where the people of God can, can, can receive its benefit and God can be glorified. And David tries the first time, didn't work out so well. Then he tries again. And the second time worked out beautifully and that he did it according to the prescription of Scripture about how to bring the ark in. Can't do it on a milk cow like the Philistines sent it out. You've got to do it on the shoulders of the priests. The presence of God is always brought by the shoulders of the priests. 
always. As good as milk cows and carts are, they're just systems. Systems are not, are, are not those things which are designed to hold the presence of God well. They can represent what the people who are to hold the presence of God and bring it in. They can represent and be the containers for a minute. But no system is designed to hold the presence of God. Not a building, nothing that man builds. Only things that God makes are designed to hold the presence of God, and that's people. They carry him into spots. You carry him into spots. David gets the right prescription. The priests begin to bring it in, and he is so happy. He is so happy that he begins to dance and he, 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 he coins his song. He writes his song. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name and make known his deeds among the people. Primary words. When God comes into your life, there are some things that you need to understand about how to communicate to him and how to communicate for him. Primary words. And as we talked about primary colors last week, being those which could be superimposed over primary deeds, primary colors are red, blue, and yellow. So primary colors can be imposed here, superimposed here over primary words. That if you will learn to do what David said here, you will paint with words the masterpiece that is your life and communicating to God and for God. Listen, it is really hard for us to communicate with people because we don't speak English very well, though it's our natural language. Let's face it, most of y'all got a C in English. I mean, that's what you say every day, but you got a C in English. Now, those of you who got an A, great, glad for you. But you still have to communicate in such a way sometimes where after you say what you say, you have to say, know what I mean? Why? Because you're not quite sure whether you put the English or the grammar in, a, in such a way that the other person can actually receive that which you want to say. On top of that, if you say it well, you don't even know whether they've heard it well. It's hard for us to communicate with human beings. What about a perfect God? We don't have any clue about how to talk to him or for him. And so we need to be taught what needs to be said to him that respects him and honors him and, and makes him happy because surely he can't be really pleased with my thoughts. Somebody asked me the other day, if you had a superpower, what would it be? And I thought, hmm, I said flying. But I thought about all the superpowers that people would have. And I thought, what about reading people's minds? And I thought, that, that was a quick one. Uh-uh. No, no, no. There's too much stuff in there. I don't want to know what people think. I do not know what they, I don't want to know. It's too much, too much dirt in my own mind. And I'm trying to be clean. I, I don't want to read people's brains. That's not a superpower I'm looking for. Our thoughts are so messed up. And those are the basis upon which we talk. What makes us think that we can communicate to God in a, in a correct way without some training? So David gives us some primary words we need to say to and for him. And then from those words, we can, commu we can communicate everything that is important to our God if we use this as a, as a basis. Give thanks. <laughs> Boy, give thanks for what he has done. Give thanks for what he is doing. And give thanks for what he will do. 
And thanksgiving ought not be based just on how happy you were made when something happened. My upbringing was not as pleasant as I would have liked it to be. I wouldn't have scripted it like, I, like it happened. Mm -mm. I, would have, I, would have, I would have had a, a TV dad. Pick your iconic actor who says all the right things and does all the right things and the children are respecting him and love him and, and all they want to do is honor him and, and, and they do what he says and it works out beautiful. That's what I would have liked. But I had a human being. I had a father who loved me dearly and was really, really good. He was faithful to all of my athletic endeavors. He never missed a football game. I'm talking about from the fifth grade all the way through college. Didn't miss a football game. Amazing. But he, but he didn't know anything about the Bible, and he didn't know how to be a great husband, and he didn't know anything about discipline, what it meant to, to, to put us in parameters so that we could live best. And as a result, I didn't get everything I needed when I became an adult. And I was constantly looking for the affirmation necessary to help me know I was on the right path, and he could not give it to me because he didn't know. Now, in my early adult years, I kind of blamed him, thinking, boy, you ruined our family. You didn't help me as I should have been, though I was very grateful for his provision. I wasn't complaining as much as trying to figure out how in the world do I deal with the stuff on the inside of me. I was grateful for everything he did. I just needed more, and I felt lacking because I didn't get it. And so I was trying to figure out how do I, how do I reconcile this, this conflict in my soul. And, and my grandfather, his dad, was on his deathbed in 1984, and I went down to see him. It's been about two weeks, and I heard all of his story, how, how he had first dedicated his heart to the Lord in 1929 and fell away, and I was able to lead him to the Lord on, the, on his deathbed, which is beautiful. And he told me his story, his, his siblings, which I didn't know anything about, and he told me about how he raised my dad and all my dad's stories and how my dad was supposed to be with the Philadelphia Phillies. As a baseball player at 17, they were looking at him to sign him, but he got, he got uh, drafted by the military and the Air Force, and he couldn't go, and I, all these stories. And then I, I, I asked him more about his relationship with my dad. And it, it was very factual, but not very affectionate. And then a, a light bulb went off in my head. Just, I get it. My dad couldn't give me what he didn't have. And he didn't have what he didn't have because his dad couldn't give him what he didn't have. It was generational. Ain't nobody's fault but Adam's. Ain't nobody's fault but Adam's. And so every day of my life from that moment on, I said, thank you, Daddy. Thank you. Even through the pain, thank you for my past. Thank you. And the stuff that hurt, God can heal. And he healed me. Thank him for your past. I don't care how bad it was. Surely, if you live the way you are living, regretting, being angry, showing bitterness, letting seeds of resentment grow in your soul, that is not healthy. When you begin to thank him, things change in your soul. You get a right perspective. Thank him for what he is doing. COVID-19, who wants to thank him about that? Who wants to thank him about that? I, but hear me. We need to thank him for all the stuff he's doing through it. Lord, you're bringing people to a greater understanding of you. You're sensitizing the soul. We're, listen, pain and disease are a part of humanity. 
God didn't bring them. Adam did. It's our fault. We mess up. We do stuff wrong. We've changed the climate of the world, not just through poor management of our CO2 and, and our oxygen and, and, and the release of stuff into the atmosphere. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just everything that humanity has done. Everything that we have committed wrong is the, is the, 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 the seedbed for all the disorder we see in the world. It's not God. It's man. God created Eden. He created the world perfect. Man blew it. And since then, God has been trying to get his will in the midst of man to try to fix stuff. So I'm sitting here looking at COVID-19 saying, Lord, what are you doing? Because I know this is a mess. But you're in the middle of the mess trying to make it right. You're trying to clean this thing up. And so many people are coming to the knowledge of the truth. Listen, on average, we have four times as many folks give their hearts to Jesus online than we did in the building. I'm happy about that. Now I want you back. <laughs> I'm not settling. I want you back and the numbers of people who get right. But so something is happening on the inside of folks whereby they are becoming more sensitive to the purpose that they have been placed on the planet. For that, I'm grateful. Secondly, ties are being made from people who have resources to those who don't. <laughs> Nobody's mad from the, from the proletariat to the bourgeois. Everybody's trying to figure out, okay, let's get the money over here to the people who need it over here. There's no argument anymore. Everybody's just transferring resources. It's happening naturally. We don't need another tax. It's just happening. Humanity is beginning to feel something on the inside saying, I got to help. That's good. Oh, the church is trying to figure out how in the world to be more relevant. Uh, they're saying we can't get people in here, so we must go out there. <laughs> so I'm saying, God, look at what you are doing. This is a, I thank you for this because you're going to bring humanity more to, an, uh, to a better understanding about what they're supposed to do in the earth. I thank him for my present. I thank him every day. And then I thank him for my future. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know he's in it. And for that, I'm grateful. I can reflect back and say, look at what God did here. Look at what he did there. He saved me from this. I shouldn't be where I am, and yet somehow he has brought me through all the stuff that, is, that has been my obstacle, that has tried to stop me from getting to where I need to be. He's brought me through and brought me here. Lord, if you did that then, I know you, what you'll do tomorrow. I thank him. Gratefulness ought to be a part of your soul every day. Every day. That's how you need to talk to God first. Thank you. And don't be tempted to be the impetulant two-year-old who's always mad about the immediate thing he did not get from his parents and throwing a temper tantrum on the floor. Cannot believe that his mom and dad would not give him the package of, of, of Haribo gummies. He knew that that was important for his life. He knew it. He knew he might die if he didn't get it. And mom and dad are not going to... The people who are supposed to love him now don't... That's what we are like when we don't get the thing that's most important to us now. And we forget about how mom and dad have cared for me every day of my life. The only reason I am still here is because they feed me. They provide for me. They help me. A two-year-old has no perspective. Don't be two. Don't be two. Have perspective. You are here because of the grace of God. Secondly, we need to proclaim some things. He says, call upon his name. That calling upon his name has two sides to it. One, it is a, 
It is a, Lord, I need you now. We have access to the God of the universe who can intervene in our situation. And it is not just a cry of our need. It is a cry of faith that he's going to intervene. It's not just saying, oh, I'm in trouble. It's saying, God, I'm in trouble and I'm awful happy. I got you to help me through it. I call upon my God right now that he might assist me in my difficulty. That's what that means. Call upon his name. You ought to know. You ought to be confident when you come in the presence of God that when you're going through a tough time, he wants to assist you through it. Now, it may not be that the circumstances through which you're going change. It might be that he assists you through it by changing you. Either way, you go through it better and you come out the other end. Call upon his name. You get the opportunity to talk to him. He listens to what you have to say. Oh, it's beautiful. And it means that we can invoke some things. That when we see circumstances that are adverse, that are hurting people, that are, uh, that are, that are inhibiting the progress, of the, we can actually invoke his power and his name into the earth. Such as when people are sick, when they are infirmed. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, mountain, be moved. We can invoke his name. Call upon his name like that. It's not just about your personal struggle. It's about bringing the relationship of power and influence you have with God into the world. And letting the world begin to experience the goodness and power of our God. That's what we are supposed to do. That's why we're here. It's not just about figuring out how in the world we can get our lives to be more content. It's about making sure the world can be provided for. And that takes faith, y'all. That takes something of a supernatural element whereby God pierces the veil of the temporal and brings eternal benefit to people. Call upon his name like that. And then lastly, declaration we ought to testify about what God has done we ought to preach this gospel call upon his name and make known his deeds among the people make known these three things if you get these three things right about how to communicate to God and how to communicate for God you're good you can begin to paint the masterpiece that is the 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 the, the words of your life in representing God and talking to him That is beautiful. Get these right. You begin to testify and you begin to preach. You got to tell people about what God has done in your life. They need to know. They need to know. And and, and you may not be a very good communicator. I get it. Practice. Get in front of the mirror and practice. And there are so many other ways we have now in technology to let you know what you need to improve on. Record yourself with an iPhone. Record yourself talking. Now, and then when you listen back to it, you're going to be real mad. Because listening to yourself is terrible. I listen to myself all the time. I understand why people don't want to come to my church. I really do. And I'm not mad about it. I'm trying to be better in my communication all the time. But I realize, I listen to myself. Oh, what were you thinking, bro? And then I know what I'm going to say, obviously, when I'm listening to myself. I think, you could have said that better. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. That's not good right there. I listen to myself, even though it's painful. So I can get better. So I can get better. 
Listen to yourself. Record yourself. And the more you listen to yourself, the more you record yourself, the better you get. All you need is two minutes, a two-minute miracle, a testimony about what God's done in your life so that you can explain it to somebody else quickly rather than just giving them theology about what they need to do, rather than giving them a mandate. Let them show a life. Let them see a life. Excuse me. Let them see a life that God has done something through, and you show it to them by word. Secondly, we need to preach this gospel. We need to let people know that for which Jesus came to die, the people for whom he came to die. We need to preach it with clarity. It is the most beautiful message on the planet. It is the message that changes the world and makes it better. We need to preach this gospel. And for that, you do need to get in your Bible. And you need to read it every day. There's not a day that goes by where you do not need to read your Bible every day because it builds information, revelation, context. It all builds in your own soul. And you need to, to make this gospel so endemic to your life so much a part of your soul that it just comes out whenever you get the opportunity. When you see the open door, you're not trying to sift through your mind and say, okay, what do I say now? How do I do it? No, no, no. You just say, hey, let me tell you about what, what, what the Bible has to say. This is how much God loves you. This is how much he cares. This is what Jesus went through. And this is the victory he has in store for you. We need to share this gospel regularly. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. David said, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God has come into my life. The presence of God has come into my life. I, I need to tell people how to respond to him in the first. I need to write a song that lets them know what they need to say to him and what they need to say for him. These are the first things that need to be done with respect to the words of our mouth. And when the presence of God comes in your life, you need to get these three things down so that you can paint the masterpiece with the words of your mouth in relationship to who your God is and what he wants you to do. Amen. Primary words overlaid with primary colors. And there's very little. If you get these right, there's very little. You can't say that people don't want to hear. Very little. And there's a lot you can say that God wants to hear. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm asking for your grace and mercy that you would inspire us to speak well on your behalf. Is there anybody this morning who has yet to give their heart to Christ? Maybe you've made a decision in the past, but your life doesn't look anything like what a believer's ought to be. And you realize, boy, I've got to make a change. I can't continue to live this way. If you fit in either of those categories, raise your hand high. Just wave at the camera or something at the computer. And if that's you, I want you to pray with me. I also want you to pray with me if you realize that you've been trying to prop up all the idols God's been trying to destroy. You really need to repent. He's the only God and he will tolerate none others. All of your attention, all of your time, all of your effort, all of your life needs to be given to him. Focus. If you've given it to other things and he has now toppled them, leave them down. Lay them down. And follow him with all of your heart. If you fit in either of those categories, pray with me. 
Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I've lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that prayer, there's a little box in the chat area. Click that where it says, raised my hand. And then we'll come up another box that says, connect with us. And somebody will contact you to help you understand how to live out the commitment you've made. You can, you can also do the same kind of thing, get in contact with somebody by texting New Life to 25827. New Life to 25827. Church, I, I believe that we are on the verge of, of the greatest expression of godliness in our history. In our history. As we begin to, to regather, watch.